Hi, I'm Josh Gandy, and you're listening to No Proof. This podcast is an extension of my journey to discover closeness to myself and the outside world. Through mindfulness, the person I'm becoming since sobriety, and the healthy choices I'm learning about along the way. In each episode, I'll be speaking with someone with ties to sobriety, the bar and restaurant industry, wellness, recovery, or all of the above. There's no proof like the present. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. This is No Proof. I am Josh Gandy, and I'm joined today by Rachel Del Rocco Terrazas, and we are chatting about sobriety within the industry. And Rachel, I'm really excited to have you um, because I've yet to talk to somebody who's kind of in, um, you know, one specific area of the industry that kind of like uh, wine. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking mm. about, um, and you just celebrated your one year mark. So. I think there's a lot that we can cover in that one year. It, it and probably, and I don't know if it's familiar for you, but in some ways, it feels like it has been one week, and it also feels like it has been an entire lifetime. So I'm excited yes. to kind of break that down with you a little bit. Uh, but just for the sake of the listeners who uh, uh, would could learn a little bit more about you, do you mind just talking about who you are? Sure. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. Um, I am Rachel Del Rocco Terrazas. Ooh, where to start? I, I've been in the industry for about 15 years um, in restaurants, um, moving, moved around a lot, um, you know, doing everything from, um, I actually started as a bartender. So I was a bartender. I moved out to Austin. I was a restaurant manager, beverage director, sommelier, et cetera, et cetera. And I did that in Austin and Houston. And then um, I moved out to Oaxaca for a little. My husband works with a uh, mezcal company. And, um, and that's when I kind of started to do writing a little bit more seriously. I, I had always wanted to do that. It was always like in the back of my head that restaurants weren't like a forever thing for me. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. So I moved back home from, from New Jersey, moved back here and um, got a job with Wine and Spirits Magazine as a, an associate editor. So I kind of started to learn the ins and outs of that world, media world. And then um, last year I left there and um, started working on my own. And now I freelance. Um, I'm a writer and an editor and a copywriter. And I am the editor in chief at a platform called The Fintner Project. We do, um, it's this little startup wine media group and uh hopefully we'll get some spirits in there too but we focus a lot on storytelling and uh the people behind the wine and i've been working with them now for about a year and a half so i've been getting busy now which is um which is great that's awesome yeah so um, and here i am here i am and here you are and, and here i am um <laughs> So you've just surpassed your your one year. I want to start off by just kind of first of all saying congratulations on that. Thank I think you. That's phenomenal. Um, but if you don't mind, I kind of wanted to hear what does that feel like, and what's different about day one Rachel versus day three sixty six and beyond Rachel. I'm yeah. sure probably a lot there, but I was thinking about that, and I was like, it is a tremendous difference. Um, I think about that girl like a year ago and I, she's a totally, 
she's a different person. But funny enough, I feel more like myself now than I did last year, which has been really nice. And I was actually thinking I did, um, I was writing an article for the website and I, I was interviewing um, somebody and I interviewed them in uh, August or September of last year. So I had about six months sober and then I had to do a follow-up interview uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was listening to the, the audio and I was listening to, to transcribe and I actually heard it, which was a really, really strange phenomenon of like, oh my gosh, the girl who did this interview in February sounds completely different than the girl that did it in September. Just my cadence and my comfortability. And um, it was a really weird experience to kind of, because people tell you, you know, like you sound different, you look different. Um, and you don't really know, um, but I am, it's just a completely different lifestyle. I do. I look different. I feel healthier, both mentally and physically. And, um, it's just been a wild ride, but it really is, uh, I, I always try and tell people and it, I'll probably use these cliches pretty often, but it really is one day at a time. Like people kind of expect that, like, I'm going to get sober and everything is going to change. And it's such a gradual exponential kind of process. It really is just kind of taking it a little bit at a time. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're just like, whoa, um, but in a really good way. It's been really gratifying. I've been, I do a lot of things now I would have never Last year, Rachel would have made fun of this one pretty hard, but I'm okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> it, it's I was like, who is this about... girl hiking and going to the <laughs> gym on her vacation? I'm like, who is this girl? That's a, it's funny you say that because I, when I was talking with Josh Harris, we were talking about, um, you know, running a little bit and, mm -hmm. you know, it's crazy how cynical the old version of me is. I would see somebody running before 10 a.m. and I'm like, who the hell do they think they are? Like, what gives them? The oh, ride? yeah. Now here yeah. I am like running and through the rain and just like going through it. It's crazy. It is, it's, I, I used to like, I used to begrudgingly go on hikes with people and like by halfway through be like, I'm done. I'm turning around. And now I'm like, let's climb a mountain. Let's do it. And it's <laughs> like, who is this? Who is this girl? It's funny. You mentioned uh, cliches as well, because it kind of reminds me of, um, there are a lot of cliches there like you I feel like in sobriety you you come across so many of them but then it also kind of like makes me think about the reflection on life as well and how like when you're growing up there's you know the people in authority they kind of give you so many cliches and at the time when you're hearing them you're like I know better like oh you don't need yeah to tell me all that and it's the same thing with sobriety it's like that cynical version of you that's like consuming and still drinking and and you know kind of like pushing off the parts of the world you think you've heard it all until you actually you know as, as a youthful person you grow up or as a, a, a person who's consuming and becomes sober it's not until you take those like reflection points and you're like damn it I had the tools the whole time and I would just be <laughs> too stubborn to use any of them <laughs> it's so true or I or just I had no idea or I just I'm too good for that there's mm -hmm. a lot of like there's a lot of um I realized like the person who was drinking was very prideful and and egotistical and I've learned that and and I did think I knew a lot I mean I had been in I've been in therapy for a long time and I was like I'm good I'm balanced I'm great and then you get sober and you're just like oh my lord yeah <laughs> it's, it, it's weird I don't know back, anything it's, uh, 
it's almost like looking back on a ghost story it was like wow i was just like a method actor for a very long time yeah <laughs> that's a good way Ste- to put stepping it. out of that role uh, but I did want to bring up, a, in a recent Instagram post, you mentioned a change in what you were posting. You said, full of reflection and less so of wine and spirit bottles. How did that simple change in kind of outward appearance change the way that you were thinking about your sobriety? You know, I was thinking about this and um, and I realized it didn't really make me think too much about my sobriety until a year later. And I think a lot of that came from also my fear of whether I could still do this, you know, career and sobriety. Um, and I mean, that, that was my identity because I was also as an addictive personality, I was also a workaholic. So this industry was my identity. And so that's all I knew putting out there was, you know, I know about wine, I know about spirits, I do this, I travel for it, I write about it, I, I do everything. And, and then all of a sudden that stopped, I didn't have anything to say, both pandemic and sobriety, I was like, I'm not drinking anything, I'm not, you know, I'm not going anywhere, I'm, you know, I don't know, what am I doing? And once I kind of got comfortable, um, and it, and it took a while for me to get really comfortable in, in being a little bit more vocal about what I was going through in my brain, you know, it became more of an outlet for me to kind of, you know, get out there and say what I was thinking or, or what I was doing or, um, and then I realized that over the past year, you know, and also talk about imposter syndrome, which I think, you know, you asked me about a little bit later, you know, you're watching all these people in the industry and it's like, in order for me to be successful, should I be posting cocktails? Should I be showing wine bottles? Should I be giving tasting notes? Like, what do, what do I do? And I, I can't, um, I'm just not doing that. So, so what is this? So what do I do? And that's kind of where that came from was just reflecting over, you know, looking at things like my social media or my perception and being like, oh, wow, I'm not that, that girl anymore where this is the center of her life. Um, I don't really know what that means yet for, for the industry. I hope that uh, answered your question. I don't know. If, no, definitely. It's really interesting yeah. to bring that up too, because I, I think about the way that like even my social media presence changed once I, once I was stopping, because for, you know, the bulk of it was, this is what I'm drinking. This is what I'm learning about. This is where I am while I'm drinking. This is the activity mm-hmm. I'm doing while I was drinking. And then when I removed that from my life, I was just, you know, I was kind of hit with those moments. I was like, would anyone else care about this leaf that I think looks cool? (laughs) (laughs) Just like, this is my post change like that. But you bring up an interesting point thinking about that through the lens of like what that looks like for a person going through the pandemic. I mean, especially within an industry that is so focused on, you know, the actual visualization of what you're doing. And it's just like, you know, if if no one sees me swing the hammer, do they, will they know that I know how to use it? You know, that's something that I, oh, I really had to work on this because it was really hard. I mean, I was, I was actually thinking there was one point about, I don't know, seven or eight months in. And I remember I looked at my husband and I said, who's also in the industry. And I remember it was a very vulnerable moment. And I, I looked at him and I said, do you still take me seriously? And he was like, like, of course I do, you know? And that was a really hard thing for me. I had to kind of look back and be like, wait a second. I know what I'm talking about. It's okay. I've done this for so long. I have experience. I have knowledge. um, And I have to be confident and comfortable in that, um, which, you know, is difficult to do 
anyway, whether you're an alcoholic or you're not, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I mean, if I didn't get sober, I don't think I would have hit that point where I was able to be confident in what I was doing and feel okay. And I still, it still bothers me on occasion to be complete. Like it's still, you know, you can feel it inside. You have that little voice in your head. That's just like, <laughs> and I have to, with time, you know, my, my more confident voice starts batting that one away just slowly and surely over time. <laughs> so just gotta keep doing it. Practice. Do you feel like you were able to like hone some more specific skills once you removed alcohol? Like, do you feel like you became better in your position through that lens or was it you know, kind of a difficult climb? I didn't realize it until later. Again, it's that whole kind of like looking back on what's changed. And I, I realized that when I was doing what I was doing in the industry, you know, I was going to tastings, I was traveling, I was going on press trips, I was going into an office, I was doing tastings three times a day. Um, and then, you know, with the drinking, it was everything else that was not that was filled with how I could get alcohol or how I could consume more. And I don't really even know sometimes how I was so functional, um, even to that point, because now um, it was just like running on a hamster wheel, like trying to keep up with something, something out there that you're trying to keep up with. And now um, I, I'm learning how to like balance my time and work ahead. And I am a better, I think I'm a better writer. Um, I do better research because I'm not rushing around. I'm not, you know, I'm doing things like that, that I just am on top of everything. And it's not so overwhelming anymore. It's not a hamster wheel. It's like, I can look at work and be like, and enjoy it and feel, you know, gratified by it. And, and, and it's not like a, a, sloth through, you know, whatever it is that you're getting through. Um, and I do on occasion kind of, you know, smell or taste and spit. And, um, but I also have very strict parameters for that, both mentally and <laughs> professionally. Um, and I'm a better, I, I am so much better at that now too. Like it's, it's, um, it's a really strange phenomenon. Like I am a better professional and, um, and I'm really excited about that. And I'm also open to, you just kind of make yourself more open as well to opportunities and you can see them and, and being honest and authentic about this journey that you're on has, has brought a lot of great opportunities like talking to you, <laughs> for instance. What did, it, what did it take to kind of set those parameters for yourself? You know, I new and I still am figuring them out for sure I think it's like a it's a process and I know that it'll be kind of an evolution of what I'm comfortable with um I did not taste at the beginning um obviously as you're very vulnerable but I do have a sponsor and I have a network a sober network and I have people that are very supportive of my journey who I will not taste alone. I don't want to do that because I, it's not only is it, even if I feel okay, I, I don't want to be okay with being okay because that's when you go back out, you know? Yeah. 
And um, it's really easy to fall back on old excuses. Exactly. So I don't, I always have somebody there, like my husband who keeps me accountable. Like I have accountability partners. And um, I also make sure that I'm in a good spot mentally. If I'm feeling anxious or depressed or just off um, in any way, I won't do it um, because I've learned over time what my triggers are, um, why I drink, you know, um, all of that work that you have to do to kind of figure out why you were doing what you were doing, where they say, you know, alcohol is the symptom and not the, um, not the problem. But, um, and so if I recognize that any of those are kind of getting in the way and then I won't even, I won't even touch it, but I do it very rarely. It's one of those things where it's like, do I have to taste this? No. Well, then I'm not going to, um, and also being okay with saying no, mm. which thing I'm learning like if it does not fit with my values or my my um restrictions or or whatever it is that makes me you know feel good if it goes against that then I have to learn how to say can't do that <laughs> I, I feel you on that I'm I feel like I'm I always wanted to be such a people pleaser that I I'm the type that would often say yes before the question was done being asked oh yeah that was a big big problem for me. I was a caretaker. It was very maternal. And I, I would take, I wanted to, you know, I was always worried about everybody else's needs. And um, it took that burning me out to the point where I was, you know, rendered useless that I realized that that had to turn around for sure. Still working on that one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um. I know I mentioned this in the, the email too, but early sobriety for me felt like that scene from Indiana Jones where he <laughs> flops the statue in the bag of sand um, with needing to quickly occupy the time that I used to, to spend drinking. It was just like the, the second that I removed it from you know my mind, I was just like, something needs to fill this void. Cause I was, I think a lot of it came from the fear of you know what would happen if, if I just had that open space and not necessarily having a plan to kind of lock into there. And like, I think I made the unfortunate mistake in the beginning of like, I filled that time wanting to like, just read about other people's stories. And then I compared myself against those stories. And what I, you know, looking back, what I was doing is I was paying zero attention to my sobriety. I was paying zero attention to like my story and, and my, my journey and what I needed to do um, next. And then luckily I found running because it, I discovered quickly what I needed was like metrics. I needed something to measure success and growth. And I had running to kind of be like, okay, today you were faster than you were yesterday, or you ran longer today than you did before. And it was kind of like setting me into like a comfortable range of just like being able to, you know, mentally have that space occupied, but then also creating space within my mind to kind of like unpack a lot of what I was you know, going through at the time. And all of that's to say, how have you filled that time that you used to hold for drinking? And has it changed since day one? It has absolutely changed. I, um, I remember at the beginning, um, well, first of all, you sit, all of a sudden you're sitting with everything when you take out that, you know, that factor in the equation, you're sober, you're thinking, and you have time on your hands, which is like the worst combination of things. And- It was everything I was trying to avoid with- 
exactly exactly yeah. and then all of a sudden you have to sit with these feelings and this overthinking and um and that was hard for me um I definitely I remember Friday nights if um which were big drinking nights for me, whether with people or by myself. Um, well, anytime really was, but the weekend nights, um, because I would drink until I passed out. So it was like when I started drinking and then that would keep me occupied until I could sleep. And I found my Friday and Saturday nights, I would get super restless. I would kind of like walk I would walk around the apartment. I would like, like just randomly, like not knowing why I was doing that. I was just feeling anxious and restless. So at first to deal with that, which was great, I had sober people that I could call on the phone and I would just go outside at like 11 o'clock at night and just walk and like get it all out of me and um, talk to people and call people that I could trust. Um, who were people who I knew were on my journey, um, especially on the West Coast, because they were three hours earlier, so I would call them. <laughs> um, but as I kind of moved forward, that it, it became a lot easier. I started filling my time with them, uh, you know, meetings, and, and I, I go to therapy, and I have a personal trainer, and that was really helpful to have those accountability people too. So I would have to get on a Zoom at a certain time. Um, and I still feel pretty restless kind of at night, but I've learned how to kind of be restful and be kind of meditative and like think on my day. I started reading again, which was like, amazing to me so I started all of these things that I used to do kind of started to flood like flood a little bit back in so it was you know working out I did start running I'm not as high intensity but I you know I never thought I would do that I started doing that I you know working out five to six days a week um and reading and you know I'm an introvert so even just writing for pleasure things like that, that I just was reading reflections, reading books that were not about the industry, um, things like that, that were just, that all of a sudden those restless periods kind of started to go away. It took some time, but, but you start to kind of fill your day and, and you get busy all of a sudden and you're just like, oh, I'm okay, I'm all right. And so I don't, I don't feel it as much as I did back back at the beginning. How does, how does being a writer plug into all of this for you? Because I, I also write and I, for me, I found that it's been insanely helpful, not just from like a journalistic standpoint where I'm just kind of like documenting, but I feel for me, you know, I also enjoy, you know, reading and with writing, I feel like it gives me space to put my emotion sometimes. Um, you know, if I don't have somebody to just kind of like say that out loud, like there will be times where a way that I'm feeling will appear as poem or quick line or something. And I'll just sort of like jot it into my, my notes just to be able to have that expressive outlet. Do you think um, it ties more emotion to your story and is it a benefit to be a writer? Yeah, I think um, even just the little like kind of posts that I do on Instagram, um, being able to like, being able to express those things um, in a way that makes sense to people is also very gratifying. Um, 
And it's also super meditative, which is nice, you know, thinking about what you were, you know, going back to what you were talking about, how at the beginning you filled your time with comparing yourself and stuff like that, you know, there's that whole, um, it's not necessary alcohol, but it's addictive behavior that I started to recognize in myself as I got sober. So it wasn't just alcohol. I was like, oh my gosh, I have all of these other addictive behaviors, like scrolling on social media or the news when the election was happening. I spent a week just like not sleeping and I actually felt hungover even though I wasn't drinking. And I realized that these were all, and I couldn't turn the television off. And I, you know, it was just, I found myself doing all of those addictive behaviors and then comparing myself and getting, you know, those instant, the doom scrolling or whatever you want to call it. It was a horrible way to do that. And so writing and reading and all of, and the running is just one of those ways to kind of take that addictive behavior and just get your mind on one thing and healthy thing and kind of direct that behavior to something that's a little bit more expressive and a little less demanding, <laughs> you know, if that makes sense. Um, that was something I really had to, had to learn how to do was take all of this pent up restless energy and focus it into something healthy um, rather than something that made me doubt myself and what I was doing and, and all of that kind of stuff I had to. And I also needed to learn how to spend time with myself. Like I was getting to know myself and I needed to kind of figure out what worked, um, you know, so it's a lot like better was, these days. I, that's, I still feel like I'm very far away from getting to know myself, but I'm much closer than mm -hmm. I ever had been. Cause I was one of those people, like I, you know, I would use alcohol because it, it felt good that first drink. And then I, you know, always ruin it by having way too much, but I would also do that with people. Like I would <laughs> always want to occupy my room and my space with people. It was just like any, any, anytime I started feeling like I was being alone, it would scare me it freaked me out. And I was like, I got to have people over or I got to have a drink. And, you know, I, I never really knew why I was having those feelings until after like, I kind of stopped and it was just like, because well, you, you're forced to just kind of like sit with everything for a moment yeah and, and I think yeah escapism yeah. like that's we all want it we all need it want it somehow you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy that, like the drinking person couldn't deal with that at all and you know now that I'm a sober person like looking back it's like it's not really that much to deal with it's just like you gotta your your inner self is going to ask some questions and then you just give some answers it's not really that tough <laughs> you didn't have to avoid it for like 20 years <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then it passes and yeah. then it's fine. <laughs> so you've mentioned having, For sure. uh, having people that you could lean on. Um, what does your support system look like? And did you feel like you could ask for help in the beginning or was that like, was that, was that tough to come across? Um, well, it depends on if you're talking about it in the sobriety sense. And then there's also like the industry layer. I found that there are two separate kind of, I guess both let's, both those kind of, yeah, those live in very two separate, but also probably very connected. So at the beginning, I mean, I had, uh, what was what we call the gift of desperation, um, <laughs> where, you know, you get to that point where you will do anything to not do this anymore. And that's kind of where I got, and, and I had been, getting up to that point for a while. Um, 
And the part of the reason why I did not get sober, why it took me so long was my fear of losing my job and everything that I had worked for. That was the biggest, um, my biggest fear in doing it. And finally, um, and I do have to say, I, I finally talked about whether me thinking I had a problem with my therapist and that kind of broke the floodgates a little bit. And to be able to say it out loud, I think I have a problem. Um, I couldn't do it with anybody else, but somebody that was in a private room with me that knew my secrets. That was the only person I was willing to talk to. Um, and he said, you know, try these programs, try it. Well, first of all, he gave me a few tests, like see if you can only have two drinks and stop or see if you can only drink one day this week. None of those worked. And um, he kind of opened the floodgates for me to start being able to explore other options. But also I had people that I knew that were in AA or had tried AA that were open with me about it, which made me feel more comfortable in talking about it or trying it. Um, and I did try it a couple of times. I didn't think it was for me until it got that desperation kind of, we, what do we say? Our store, our scorecard read zero. Um, and I walked into an AA meeting and there I found what well, I found this group of people that were saying all of these things that I could, that I related to, that I identified with. And I was like, did these, yes, yes, I, yes, that's what I've been dealing with. That's what I've been doing. And so I had to kind of, I built my network there. And so um, I got a sponsor and then, you know, and funny enough, we got into a pandemic right after I got sober. Um, but somehow I ended up on, you know, I would meet one person and they would lead me to another friend and then they would lead me to another meeting and then they would lead me here. And my network just kind of grew and grew. And that sober network was very, very important at the beginning. The people that had, you know, that I didn't have to explain myself away in the industry I didn't need excuses. I didn't, um, that was helpful at the beginning. And of course my close friends and family that, you know, obviously knew I had a problem and wanted me to stop anyway, um, were very supportive. And, um, and that was really important at the beginning. Um, again, I, I, and as far as the industry part of that, um, I did not know anybody. I didn't know of anybody that I could talk to about this fear I had about losing my job. And somebody had said something about Josh Harris to me and I, we had a phone call and he was amazing. And that phone call stays with me to this day. Um, and you know, whether he knows that or not, <laughs> but it was so helpful just to, just to have, just know that it's possible and somebody's doing it. And, um, and that was really, really important to me. And also it was great, you know, when I got that sober network at first, it was so nice to realize that there are people, there are sober people in the world. <laughs> they exist. They're not, you know, they're out there and people that are not in the industry or have lied, you know, um, my, my group of support has, is just so diverse and amazing for advice and support and, um, and we definitely need more of that in the industry. And as I've become more vocal about it, more people kind of 
say, hey, <laughs> and you kind of have that rapport, which has been nice. So I hope that grows too. But, um, but asking for help is a whole other, that's a whole other uh, topic. It's a hard thing to do. Um, but I feel like when you're desperate enough, you don't have another choice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because I feel like with my drinking, like it kind of, it was reaching its pinnacle and I was just kind of, I kept having those intrusive thoughts of like, some, I wish somebody would tell me to stop. Like it, it would mm -hmm. be easier if someone just one day said, hey, cut it out. And then to just kind of like have to rectify that. But instead, you know, you just keep pushing those boundaries and those markers of like, okay, if it gets to this point, then I'll stop. And mm -hmm. it's rare, especially within the industry, like the speed of which it, it moves, like you never really stop and, and look around. And I think that was one of the discoveries. And, and to your point with having the support group and stuff like that is just like, you know, the amount of people that like uh, disappeared in my life when I quit drinking and having that discovery of like, these were only drinking buddies. I was just like, well, that's because that's who I was. That's who mm -hmm. I was attracting. And, you know, if I, I looked around a room and everyone was like me because, you know, I'm so focused on just this one thing at these places where I go to do that one thing. Yeah. And you don't even realize I, you know, looking back on hanging out with people that were my drinking friends, I didn't realize how much like I was the enabler. And then when you're not, and when you're not, you realize like, um, yeah, they kind of, you know, people, places and things kind of start falling away, um, but in a very natural way. And that's like something that, you know, like, again, when, when people get so scared of like the idea of being sober or what is going to have to change, or like, I have to let go of something or I'm going to lose something. Um, it all, it all kind of comes together. If you, if you just, you know, you know, just kind of sit with yourself, like it all starts to kind of make sense over time. Um, that's what I always like to, you know, for like people that are just thinking about it or stuff like that, you know, and it's something that Josh said to me, you just have to make the decision and you just have to do it. And don't worry about that wedding that you're going to go to in two years that doesn't exist yet. And mourn the fact that you can't drink there, like yeah. stop it. <laughs> yeah. That was a big discovery for me too, is like yeah. the amount of excuses and plans that I was making for a version of myself that didn't exist yet. Because that uh -huh. person two years from now at that wedding, like that's the last of the least of their worries is just like, yeah, of course I'm not drinking here because I don't drink. Exactly. And you but, don't even think about that. Yeah. You're like, how am I going to miss out? I remember being like, what, what am I going to do at my brother's wedding? And like, he's, know, not, he's not even everything. engaged. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and then you like, you, it just all kind of starts, you know, our brains are so crazy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I had it's something I still struggle with from time to time, but I had a really tough time in like my first three months sort of tempering that old self of just like being so close to that version of myself that would, you know, say things that were embarrassing or, or drink too much or have just like, I, I felt like I was way too close to those memories and it felt like I would never be able to get away from them. Um, what do you do in those quiet moments? What do you say to yourself when it's just you, just the memories of the old you and you want to oh. kind of like calm those? That is so true. That is because I do have a lot of moments and I don't know if this happens to you, but ones that you don't even remember will pop up all of a sudden out of nowhere. And you're like, oh God, I forgot about that one time that I missed this dinner and I screwed up the evening. And like, 
you, you, that you completely forgot about probably because you were drunk or blacked out or whatever and they start to kind of crop up and pop up and it's it's so shameful and and it gets it's really hard to sit with so I don't know if this is because I am a writer or if, or if it was super helpful for me but I I did kind of that AA step one work of looking at you know are you are, do you have a problem? Are you an alcoholic? And in what ways were your life, was your life unmanageable? And somebody, I wrote down my last drunk. That was like, was something that I did explaining like, you know, as I was really close to it, explaining why, you know, that last drunk and why it was like enough for me. But then I also had to go through and be like, oh, there was that time I got sent home from a dinner. There was a time that I drove. There was the time that I um, passed out. There was the time that I blacked out, that time I couldn't get home. Like you start to, the, and then you start to like look at that. And it's hard to look at, but it also gives me so much confidence that I've made the right decision. So I try and look, I try and look at it that way in, um, if I keep that feeling, that, that feeling of desperation and kind of shame close, somewhat close, it will be a constant reminder that I've done the right thing and that I'm still doing the right thing. And um, because it's so easy to forget it's so easy to say it wasn't that bad or it was normal for what I do. Um, and it's so easy to do that. And if I can keep those feelings close, I feel like it's, I just get so much more confident that this is the right decision for my life. Um, and so I try and keep those close, but then I also have to remember that like, I have to accept these things and I have to forgive myself that was like a huge, you know, I have to forgive myself for doing that. And, um, and, and just say that, you know, you are a very sick person and, you know, you, you know, and it's, it's okay. And, you know, yeah, you know, get, you know, talk to people about it that you might, that might be sticking around with you in your head. Um, which I've done, um, come clean about getting sober, um, accepting that I did these things, but now it's okay because I'm doing something about it. Um, so I do try and look at them and look at them pretty hard and say, and just usually my reaction to it is, oh yeah, you're making the right decision. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this I mean, is a way it's... to go for you. <laughs> It's absolutely <laughs> difficult at times. And it's, it's one of those things that I feel like if you paid too much attention to it, that's when you're sort of reminded of just like, you know, it, it could easily consume me if I spent too much time thinking about it. But, and this is, and here comes another cliche, it is a journey, you know, and you have to think about it as like directionally focused. Like if I am maintaining my current path, those things are behind me. I still know that they're mm -hmm. there and I can turn around and I can take a look, but if I, turn fully around and pay those that pay them the attention that they want me to, then that's kind of how I get consumed into those moments. So like, that's, I try to think about it like that of just like, if I keep going forward, then they may not get any further away than they are right now. But I know that it's, per it's purposeful to not pay them the attention that they want me to sort of give them. That's 
such a good point because in reality that overthinking and that consuming nature is very typical of somebody who needs to get sober mm-hmm. like I, it would consume me to the point where i would i would probably drink again to get rid of it yeah if you're completely turned around you can't see all of the good and bright ahead of what yeah. you created it's tough mm-hmm. yeah which is hard to see so it's good to i know it was at the beginning it's hard to see but it's true. It works. <laughs> is, there, is there anything you wish you could say to day one, Rachel, that could maybe help someone else's day one? Oh, gosh. Um, that's, that's such a good question. Um, at, first of all, everything is going to be okay. <laughs> that is probably like my, um, like everything will be fine you will be fine. Like, um, and it will be okay. And it will be good. And that's okay too. Like, um, just, it's gonna, and also, I would also, you know, say it's not going to be easy. It's not an easy journey, but it's also so gratifying. Like if I had known how I felt now, it's, you know, it, it's just, there's such a sense of kind of consistent peace and gratitude, you know, with practice that, you know, all the other things seem so minuscule now and um, just kind of staying on that beam. It's just like, I just want to tell somebody like that you can get better, you can get better and that's okay, you know, and, and everything is going to be fine. Just, you know, listen, listen to yourself and, and be honest and, um, be willing and, and, it, and it's going to be, it's going to be okay. <laughs> That's what I can think about. Cause I'm so anxious about every little thing all the time. How is this going to happen? How am I going to do this? How is this going to work? When am I going to do this? Like, um, and it just doesn't matter. It's, I'm probably going to, you know, I, Josh was totally right. You just have to make the right decision for yourself, make that decision and be super confident in it and just keep doing it. And you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. Um, but we all do. Everybody does. So, you know, it's okay. Yeah. That's what I would say. I hope that's good. I hope she enjoys it. Day one, Rachel. <laughs> I, I think she would. I think or day 360, whatever I'm on, 375, Rachel. I'll think about what, you know, 525 day Rachel will say. But, um, but it's good. That's um, awesome. Um, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's our time. I kind of went fast, huh? It went fast. I was like, we have so much more to cover. <laughs> I guess what uh, where I'll place that is I'd love to have you back on the show again. Um, there's, there's there's always more that we can take off the shelf, but for today, of Rachel, course. I really can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. And again, congratulations. Thank you so much. And um, it's I'm just super happy. You know, it, uh, just like, coming clean about all of this too, and and just being authentic and honest is just really gratifying for the soul and and hopefully will be good for other people. And I really love what you're doing. And I'm so, I think these conversations are so important, um, you know, just to talk about our relationship with alcohol. Good or- well, that's our show. 
Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard or are interested to hear more, make sure to like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. The music for No Proof was written and recorded by my brother Kyle, right here in Columbus, Ohio. More info and other shows like the Focus on Health podcast with Alex Jump or Currency Exchange with Lauren Paler can be found at fohealth.org. That's focusonhealth.org.